In Titus chapter 2, we see that high ethical standards that follow the pattern of doctrine learned and doctrine lived are the responsibility of every believer. In the first chapter of this letter, Paul stressed the responsibility of the leadership of the church to live what is taught. But that idea and that ideal doesn't stop with the church leadership. Earlier on in our study of the pastoral epistles, we said that actually they weren't called the pastoral epistles until maybe a couple hundred years ago. The pastoral epistles were written to to Titus and to Timothy to to help explain how, how one ought to function in the household of God. But it's not just for pastors. There's information in it for you, unless you thought you could kind of take a nap tonight and and figure this is all for somebody else. Perk up, because uh, you'll be uh, you, you will fit one of these categories. I assure you, the the passage starts off. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, Sound in speech which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Titus, But as for you, speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In contrast to the Cretans who taught Jewish myths and human commandments, Titus must, must teach sound doctrine. And that covers the gospel. He must teach a pure gospel. That's where sound doctrine starts. If you want to gauge what, uh, what, what is a good church and what is not a good church, the first place to look is not the music department. I know that's what we do a lot t- today. We look say, well, what kind of music they have. Actually, where we ought to look first is, do they preach a sound gospel? If they preach a gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, then we can start talking about the possibility that it's a good church. I don't care if they have the, the you know a, a choir that's the equivalent of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. If they preach a doctrine that a, a gospel that's salvation by grace through faith plus works, it's not a good church. I don't care how nice they are. I don't know how, much, how many good works that they do. I don't care how many missionaries they send out. If they mess the gospel up, it's not a good church. Unless you think that I'm exaggerating, turn for just a moment over to the book of Galatians. In Paul's letter to them, in the first chapter, he says the following. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not really another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, get this, even though we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And this was strong language in the first century. Very strong language. I would translate it, but I offended a few of you when I did that last time. It is strong language. You fill in your own strong language, whatever you want. But the Apostle Paul came down on him for preaching a different gospel. No, the Galatians weren't a good church. The churches that Galatians weren't good churches because they were well-meaning. 
You mess up the gospel, you've messed up your initial outreach. Then in case we didn't get that in verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you have received, let him be accursed. I love what Paul says next. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please, striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Apparently he had been accused in some of the churches at Galatians to trying to be a, a man pleaser. So he says, well, we'll take that. Now do you think I'm a man pleaser? No, the, the, the gospel is too important. So that's the first aspect of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine starts with a solid gospel. Salvation is by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We need to put that Christ alone in there. When we say salvation is by grace through faith, it's, that's probably not specific enough. We don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in any object, any object of your own choice. We have faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. That's who we place our faith in. Just any old object won't do. It's got to be the right object. But as for you, and in contrast to the Cretans, who are real sloppy, with their doctors. Remember, Titus is living in Crete. He's writing to the Cretans. In contrast to them, Timothy is supposed to teach sound doctrine. Now, this sound doctrine is more literally what is fitting or what is proper to. It could be understood this way. That which leads to a healthy spiritual life. That's sound doctrine. So it starts with the gospel, and then it includes the entire counsel of God. One reason I so appreciate J. Vernon McGee, who, like Chuck Swindoll says, is who is though dead still speaks. <laughs> I love it. J. Vernon McGee, I love his program because it never gets old. You know why it never gets old? Why it's, why it's run over and over. They go five years and they start it over again. Then they go another five years and start it over again. Because he's teaching the Word of God. And he's teaching timeless truth. And he went from Genesis to Revelation and preached the whole counsel of God. Rather than just riding a hobby horse for years and years and years, he went through books of the Bible, and actually he went straight through, which is a very is a very large challenge. And it, and I understand, and actually the back to, is what's the, that show called? It's not back to the Bible. Walk the yeah, yeah. This is um, he he was in a room with a microphone, just him and his Bible, and that's hard to do and pull off what he did. But I, I so appreciate it because he preached the entire counsel of God. Sometimes we wonder why we don't understand the New Testament as well as we should. And the reason is because a lot of Bible churches, a lot of evangelical churches, a lot of Baptist churches, we spend most of our time in the New Testament, which is understandable seeing because the New Testament does include the mystery doctrines of the church age. But you know you'll never have a proper understanding of the New Testament until you have a basic understanding of the Old Testament. Did you know that? And I would go even further and say, you cannot have a basic understanding of the Old Testament until you have at least a general understanding of the book of Genesis. Because it's all outlined in the book of Genesis. And then to go one step further, you won't ever have a good understanding of the book of Genesis until you understand the first three chapters of the Bible. Those three chapters are critical because it sets the tone from everything that happens from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. The entire counsel of God. Don't be afraid of the Old Testament. That's why on Sunday nights, generally speaking, we do Old Testament studies. It's critical for our understanding of the New Testament. These are things which are fitting toward a healthy spiritual life. Sound doctrine is teaching that promotes spiritual health. Requires conduct consistent with content. 
Sound doctrine leads to the, to the notion that conduct should be consistent with content. Correct doctrine must result in correct behavior. That's a message that you'll hear over and over and over again in this book of Titus. In Paul's letter to Titus, correct doctrine must result in correct behavior. Then in verses 2 through 6, we see Paul give Titus instruction regarding various age groups in the church. These verses lay down some of the Christian attributes to be commended to different groups divided according to age and to sex. It starts with the older men. Now, there's no indication here where the older men um, category begins. It could begin just about anywhere. Uh, last year, actually, last year and the year before, I was going through the line at, at the Golden Corral with my young son, my young teenage son, and uh, they gave me the senior's discount. And I, I said, I'm not, I'm not a senior. How y'all do you gotta get the senior's discount? And they said, well, well, 65. I said, ma'am, I'm in my 40s. And she said, well, I'm sorry, you look like you're in your 60s. And I said, I said, now listen, I'm giving you this money back. Next time I went through, same gal gave me the senior's discount again. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, in terms of being, looking that way, but, but uh, I just now turned 50. You know, there's, there's um, the third time she went through, she gave it again. I said, I just took it. I said, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. But I did tell my waitress, and she laughed about it, and she went and talked to him. I don't know how old the older men are, you know, but, but in that culture, they would probably be about the same as today, maybe even a little older. It's hard to say. Lifespans were, if you did the average lifespan, it would have probably been shorter because of, because of deaths due to infections and wild animals and, and, and those kind of traumatic things that we wouldn't have uh, that aren't quite so much an issue today because of our health care system being, uh, being what it is. Uh, but the point is, the point is that older men and older women, no matter where that category begins, have, have a behavior that is expected of them. Just like the church leadership has a behavior that's expected of them because people are going to look up to church leadership. Older men and older women have a behavior that's expected of them because the younger members of a church should have something to look up to with the older men and older women. There should be something there. One of the great insults as well as tragedies in modern church growth is the idea that we should market to a certain demographic in a certain age group. This all started out in California with Saddleback Sam and Saddleback Sally, who were 37.4 years of age, and they made over $200,000, and they had 1.3 children or, or something, some nonsense like that. And then the entire church was designed to attract 30-somethings. What a tragedy. Church needs people of all ages. The, the healthiest churches will have the most mature individuals in them. People that can be dignified. People that other people can look up, look up to. How arrogant it is. How, how sassy it is to, to walk into a church and say, well, that church is too old for me. How stupid that is. Not realizing that there's a wealth of information there. There's a wealth of knowledge. There's a wealth of wisdom there. Wisdom being 
Now let's apply it to life. So how are older men to act? Well, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, and love in perseverance. We see those four categories. Temperate means clear-headed, manifesting self-possession, self-control under all circumstances. You know what our younger folks don't need to see? They don't need to see our people who are more mature losing their temper and fussing and fighting. Because that's typically what younger men do, isn't it? Younger men, when they want to settle something, they go out by the tree, out by the schoolyard, and they duke it out. And we, we run out there after them and say, hey, don't do that. Don't we? Stop that right now. We don't like to see the younger guys fighting, do we? Well, what, what model do we give them if the older men are fighting? Maybe not physically, maybe not beating each other up, but with their mouths. Need to be temperate, worthy of respect. Also can be understood as dignified in New American Standard, revealing a personal dignity and seriousness of purpose that invite honor and respect. Once we've been down life's road just a little bit, I think we can keep things in a better perspective than, than perhaps we could have before. The pe- people who are more mature, not only in the faith, but in age, in years, are, 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 are people that should be looked up to and observed. See what bothers them and what doesn't bother them. Because as we go down life's road, we see things that used to bother us don't tend to upset us quite so much anymore. Because, they, they, because we just realize it's no big deal. So what's your five minutes late because there's a traffic jam? It's not worth cursing at the person next to you. You're still going to get there. Now, as a younger man, you may not think so. You know, as a younger man, you may start a fight over, over some sort of road race. It's good to have more mature people that you can look up to. They can say, son, that's not necessary. And you know what? We ought not to even have to say it. Or older people ought not to even have to say that. You, you ought to live it. And they ought to be able to look up to it. Now, this is not just in a church. This is fathers as well. Your kids are going to emulate you. They may not like it right up front. They may try to rebel against it. But you're the standard. Did you realize that? The way you behave right now is the standard that they're going to look up to when they get to that age. Even if they're not doing it right now. Worthy of respect. If, if we're going to ask for respect, we need to be worthy of that respect. Self-control, possessing mastery, self-mastery in thought and judgment. And, and finally, sound in faith and love and endurance. That's a, that's a triplet there. Sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in endurance. Revealing a Christian healthiness, if you will, of heart and of mind. In verse 1, sound is applied to doctrine. Remember, it's a doctrine that leads to a healthy spiritual life. Here, the word sound is applied to character. Older men must be mature in their exercise of genuine love. They shouldn't be bitter and vindictive. And they must display active endurance. That means steadfast persistence that bravely, that bravely bears trials and afflictions of life. Winston Churchill said in the dark days of World War II, One of my favorite quotes, it's also one of the easiest to remember. Never, 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 never quit. See, if younger men look up to the older men and the older men are always quitting when times get tough, that sets a pattern of behavior. You can't quit because times get tough. You have to plow through. You've got to endure because people are watching you. 
Why would anyone, why would anyone want a church with no senior men in it? Why would anyone want to market for that? It would be a very unhealthy church with no models, with no, with no models right there in front of you. Verse 3, older women likewise. Again, it doesn't say the age of, of the older women. You're going to have to fill in the, your own blank there. But likewise indicates that the same kind of deportment is expected of the older women, although the demands on the older women, you'll see, are a little different. Because the demands on the older women, the older women have a different role in life. And the demands are consistent with what our roles are in life. The basic demand is to be reverent in the way that they live. The way that they live actually translates a noun denoting manner of life as expressive of inner character. Ever since you were a new mom... And you had that little girl, and and she was she dressed up in her pretty little dress for church one day, and really got full of herself, and was prancing out to the car, and someone says, "Oh my, don't you look pretty today?" And she says, "Oh, I do." <laughs> you, you remember that? You remember those days? What did you tell her? You told her something along the lines of, "Remember, sweetheart, pretty is as pretty does." Now you told them that as kids, when you were a new mom. Or maybe even a new grandma. You told those little girls that. What really makes a woman beautiful is what comes from the inside out. I'll tell you what. There are, there are some women that you see on magazine covers that I am, I am just disgusted by. I am repulsed by. They make me sick. I can't understand how Paris Hilton is a celebrity. What did she ever do? Productive. To be a celebrity. <laughs> Paul named names. I'm going to name name names too. She's a household word. Some people think she's attractive. I think she's brutally ugly because of what's inside of her is coming out, and and she's doing everything she can. Same way with Madonna. Uh, Madonna is is an ugly woman because of what's in her soul that's coming out. Now, she could turn around and be a beautiful woman in a heartbeat just like that if she turned her life over to Christ and start living in a virtuous way that people could look up to. I find it interesting, too, with Madonna. Madonna did some of the filthiest shows, I'm told. In fact, one of her filthiest shows was just done. NBC, thankfully, took out a part of it because Madonna was going to be hung upon a cross and sing one of the songs as the crucified Jesus, one whom she outright rejects and she ridicules at every turn. Fortunately, NBC cut that part out. They said, we will not show that part of the concert on NBC. I I thank them for that. But these are people that otherwise would be beautiful. But because, because the inside of them is so rotting and decaying, they're not beautiful women. They're ugly women. I'd be happy to tell them that if they were here too. They can turn beautiful in a heartbeat though, if they turn it around from the inside out. Then you have some other women that would never make the cover of People magazine. They never would. They'd never make a runway model. Because our culture wouldn't, wouldn't place that in, a, in, a, in a, the, their appearance in, in that kind of light. But they are some of the most beautiful women on the planet. When they walk into a room, beauty goes before them. You sit down with them and you hear the most wonderful things coming out of their mouth and you can't wait to hear more. Remember the whole thing, pretty is as pretty does? It still applies. And, and so that, like, likewise, older women are to be reverent in their behavior. The way they live, it means suitable to a sacred person. 
Are you the kind of woman that a younger woman could look at and say, I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to be like her. Are you the kind of woman that when, when a younger woman goes to lunch or to dinner with you or sits down at a church function, they walk away feeling better about themselves? That they walk away feeling happier that they're a Christian? This is what they've got to look forward to? Are you that kind of woman? I hope you are. That's what's prescribed of you if you're in this category. The, con- the conduct of the older women must reveal that they regard life as sacred in all of its aspects. You know what people really look up to? I mean, really? People just, the, the secular world, the pagan world, thinks people look up to some things that they don't. You know, what, you know what younger people really look up to in older people? Integrity. They don't possess it themselves a lot of times. They, they look up to older people who have integrity. They may not like you at the time. They may rebel against you at the time. They may talk trash about, about you behind your back at the time. But as life goes on, and you may not live to see it, I, I wish I could promise you that as, as time goes on, you'll live to see them turn around. You may not. It may be when you're in glory that they finally turn around. It may be at your funeral that they realize, you know what? Mom was a good woman. I need to be a whole lot more like her. Or back to the dad. You know, dad, I fought with him a lot, but or, or I, I didn't like the way he did this. Or, boy, I, I didn't care for that. But you know what? He was a man of integrity. You see, I told you it's not just for pastors. It sets a high standard for pastors, but it also sets a, a standard for all of us. This reverential behavior, now we're in the, in the older women, requires that they not be slanderers or addicted to much wine. The New American Standard says, not malicious gossips. You know one, one thing that will take away two or three points on the beauty scale real quickly? is when you open your mouth and everything that comes out of it is knocking somebody else. Now that's for men and women. But here specifically, it's for women. And, and you, know, you know why that is. I think I finally figured it out, biblically as well. When, when guys are younger, guys fight with their fists, usually. When women are younger, hopefully they don't fight with their fists. We don't want that. We don't, we don't like that in women of any age. But what do you fight with? Your mouth. And you develop skill. <laughs> and, and, and that skill never goes away. Self-defense. True. It's, it's a self-defense mechanism. You've got to fight with something. And so that skill is sharpened and it is developed. And what Paul is saying here, teaching Titus to teach these women, be, be careful with that. Be careful with that sharp tongue. Because it's not attractive. Nobody wants to be around somebody that's maligning other people everywhere you go. You know why? Because if you have any sense at all, you'll realize as soon as you step out of the room, you're next. That's why you don't want to hang with people like that. I love hanging with people that are saying good stuff about other people. Because I figure as soon as I step out of the room, they might say something good about me too. They'll try to leave early so that, they, so that they'll have time to do it. You know. Why Paul adds this particular thing, I'm not sure. Apparently it was a problem in Crete, but not addicted to much wine. Uh, drinking wine is not a problem, as throughout the New Testament... But being addicted to the wine is a problem. Or using the wine as a crutch. You know, all of us have difficulties in life. All of us have rough days. Uh, Do you turn to the Lord on your rough day, or do you turn to the bottle of wine? One commentary I wrote, it was was interesting, that I read on this. 
said that this passage means that women should not drink any wine. Women should abstain completely from wine. It doesn't say that. Sometimes we have to throw our own little our own little things into the passage. Well, God doesn't care for that. He's got his own stuff in here. We just need to figure out what he said and then go by that. So um, you, you have to be careful what goes out of your mouth. You also have to be careful what goes in. And we should uh, utilize these things that God has made. Jesus drank wine, but he never was addicted to wine. He was not enslaved to wine. That, that's, a, that's a pretty good word, isn't it? You don't want to be enslaved to anything, though, do you? You don't want to be enslaved to coffee. You don't want to be enslaved to Hostess cupcakes. You know, you don't want to be enslaved to anything. I just picked that one because that's mine. I don't, I don't drink, smoke, or drink coffee. That doesn't make me any better. But you know, we're all enslaved to something. I got to push by the, the the cupcake. Somebody said Twinkies one time. I don't like Twinkies. That they're, that is that's such a base product. If you're gonna if you're gonna do something from Hostess, at least get the cupcake with the cream filling. Anyway, we're all we're all we all we all have this possibility, so we've got to be careful. You see, there's there's a union of two negatives there. They do it does suggest the connection though between a malicious mouth and an, an intoxicated spirit. Sometimes when we oh, I'm speaking editorially, sometimes when we when we imbibe too much, we then say too much. So we have to watch both. In the first four, there's a reason for it, the purpose clause, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Mentoring of the younger women is the responsibility of the older women. Now, this could be, uh, you, you could be in your 40s and be considered an older woman in this case. If you've got a young mom and you're, you're a grandmother and you're in your 40s, which oftentimes you are, it's your responsibility to mentor that young woman. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your daughter or your, your granddaughter. Any young woman, we need to come alongside them. We have a lot of young women in this church that are having new babies. And a lot of you have had babies before. And now, I'm not, I'm not telling you, I'm not even implying that you should go give unwanted advice. They probably have had enough of that. But you need to be there for them. You, you need to be there when, when you know how, you, you can tell the look on a mom's face. I, I can even tell it sometimes, but I know other mothers can. When a, when a woman walks into church and you know she has just had a tough morning. You, you know, the kids have just beat her to death. I'm, I'm not talking about physically, but emotionally, mentally, and everything else. And her face is like this. She's just, she just, she just one step away from just bawling. You, you can see that, can't you? And, and isn't, it a, isn't it a wonderful, loving thing to do? Just come put your arm around, hey, listen. You know, whatever women say to women. You know, but most men don't like to encourage the crying part, so we try to shy away from that. But, but, but you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You come up and say, hon, how you doing? And, and let her talk to you. Women are to encourage their husbands. And this word could also be understood as train. But it's probably more likely... No, that's, that's true. <laughs> no, no, no. Women are, I did, women are to... The, the, the older women are encouraged to train the younger women, not the husbands. Sorry, I, I misspoke. That gave you hope. That gave you hope, and I'm going to erase it right now. 
There's no training of the husbands here. You're training the younger women to love their husbands, which may be the hardest task in Christianity, knowing how unlovable sometimes husbands can be. But you're also to encourage them to do that. Now, frankly, this does imply that sometimes husbands may not be the easiest people on the planet to love. Shocking. I agree. But that's what it implies. Blew me away, too. You know? <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, this wouldn't be here. If this, if this was something that just uh, occurred automatically, and sometimes it does, but, but there's going to be difficult times in any marriage. And the worst thing sometimes I think that Christians can do is pretend that that's not true. Because you have a young couple that maybe quarrel a little bit, and you hold yourself up, well, we haven't had a fight in 56 years. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. I remember the example of Howard Hendricks. You know Howard Hendricks from Dallas Seminary. He's been around forever, and, and his wife, um, Jeannie, right? I think Jeannie Hendricks. They were on their way to, to San Antonio to do a marriage conference. Prof. Hendricks says that they fought the entire way from Dallas to San Antonio. Got out of the car, put on their smiling faces, went in and talked to the marriage conference, got back in the car and fought all the way back to Dallas. Then he told us about it at a chapel service, and we all laughed like you did. He said, listen, the reason I told you that is because it is hypocritical to hold yourself up as never having had a dispute, never having had a disagreement. Two, Two people live in the same house, have different personalities, different desires. There's going to be... Uh, days that aren't as good as, as other days. And so it is the responsibility, watch, it's the responsibility of those who are the more senior, more ex- experienced, more mature women to train the younger women to love their husbands. I'm not talking about passionate romance here. They don't need training for that. That comes naturally, you know, at the appropriate time. But how to love them when the husband is not necessarily that lovable. And it does, again, it shocks me, but it does happen sometimes. Same thing for the children. You know, what, ha- you know, what happens when the children finally get on your nerves? And, and, and people snap sometimes when, when the kids get on their nerves so much. That's the, that's the time when a, when a more mature woman needs to come by and say, Honey, I know what you're going through. I've been, I've been right where you are right now. And I want to encourage you. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's just a little card that you write. Maybe it's an email, although that's a lot less personal today. Maybe it's you, you see them at church and you say, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee next week? I'd like to take you out. You know, whatever it is, this, this is a responsibility. How do you do You have to be sensible. In verse 5, you have to be pure. Workers at home, kind, being subjected to their own, to being subject to their own husbands that the word of God may not be dishonored. This is not the most popular passage in the book of Titus. I'll be up front with you. In fact, um, the whole idea that there is a, a behavior that's expected of women in our culture today, it's, that, that's largely rejected. One of the hardest aspects of ministry for me is certainly not preparing messages. That's, that's, I love that. That's easy. Uh, Funerals are, are, are gut-wrenching, but they're, they are, uh, um, but you usually have people's attention there. And, you, you know, you have an opportunity to give the gospel. In a lot of circles, you know what the most difficult ministry is? Merit is weddings. And I'll tell you why. Because it's, it's not the bride and the groom that are the problem. 
Because if I'm doing the wedding, they probably come to the church. They, they're, they're both believers, I know that. But it's all the 20-somethings in the crowd that having this idea, that they have this idea in their head, if they, they're not going to be June Cleaver. They're not going to do it because that's degrading to them. Now, maybe we ought not to be June Cleaver. I don't know. I've forgotten exactly how she behaved. But, but the, the whole idea here, the, the, the middle one, subject to their own husbands, that's one people don't like. Now, the sensible, okay, pure, all right. Workers at home say what? Hold on, wait, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Workers at home, who do you think we are? I think that you are a mature woman who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that understands that men and women are both completely equal before God. Both men and women were created in the image of God. Just like there's equality within the Trinity between Father and Son. The son completely submitted himself to the will of the father. There is equality within a marriage, but there are different roles. And one of the roles that Paul speaks about here is, is the domestic role. And I know sometimes, because of necessity, that role gets put backwards. But those are the exceptions. They're not the rule. Women, it's, it's as a basic responsibility, the home is your responsibility. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's part of what's here. And, and if we're to set a good example, if older women are to set a good example for the younger women, then you've got to do that without griping every four or five seconds about what you've got to do. That's not setting a good example for them. You see, because verse 5 is, is contextually connected to verse 4. The only way you're going to do that is if you've got the characteristics of verse 5. I want to show you something here, too, though, because some... It's really cultic when it happens. But there are some Christian groups that, that miss one word there. And this could be, husbands is also the same word for man. And so there are some, I hate to use the word extremist because it's, it's kind of an overused word now, but some more extremist Christian groups would, would tell the women that they're to be subject to the men. Listen, ladies, this may be good news for you, I'm not sure, but there's only one man that you're supposed to be subject to, and that's your own husband. No other husband. Okay, now, now in, a, in a church setting, there's church leadership there as well, but ultimately you're subject to your own husband. Somebody else's husband comes up and tells you to do something, unless he's the pastor of the church and has a good reason, within the function of the church to tell you that, that is not an order you ought to obey. Okay, you're subject to your own husband, that word own Circle it if you want to. You're not, you're not to be subject to somebody else's husband. Just because they're a male doesn't mean they have authority over you or any leadership over you. And the only reason I say that is because some, some more modern-day Christian cults abuse that terribly. And the women in that, uh, in that system uh, are, are the victims of, tr- of true abuse. The reason so that the word of God may not be dishonored. Nobody wants to dishonor God's word whether they be older men or older women. Now, likewise, the younger men are, are to be sensible. In verse 6, that, that's, not the, that's not the most common characteristic, is it? If it was, Paul wouldn't have to mention it. But sensibility, sensibility means to be self-controlled. This word encourage this translated urge in the New American Standard, parakaleo, is the first imperative in these verses. It's stronger than the word teach in verse 1. It could be rendered urge or admonish. It's because the younger men need to be metaphorically slapped across the ear a time or two before you're going to get their attention. 
sometimes I get maybe perhaps younger women will, will come along a little easier, but younger guys are stubborn sometimes. You're to urge them, you're to admonish them toward a sense of personal responsibility. Now, in verse 7, Paul switches subtly. We have, to look at the, we have to look at the text carefully. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example. Paul's made a subtle shift away from the young men to Timothy. Timothy was one of the younger men, but he's not necessarily putting Timothy solely in that young man category. But in verse 7, he's speaking to, I mean, to Titus. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and dignified. Again, back to the leadership idea. If you're going to teach this to somebody, you've got to live it yourself. In verse 8, Titus must demonstrate soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Soundness in speech in verse 8 in, in, uh, of Titus chapter 2 in Numeric Standard is sound in speech which is beyond reproach. We talked about this when it came to the, uh, the qualification of an elder. It doesn't mean perfect. If it did, there, there would be no elders, there would be no pastors, no uh, bishops, the same term. Everybody would be disqualified if it meant perfection. But it, but it means a conduct that cannot be condemned. The content of, a, of Titus's speech here, his personal words that are spoken while teaching or in ordinary conversation must have two characteristics. In the first place, it must be sound. It must be sensible. And it's those that conform to healthy doctrine. It's a demand that's made on the elders as well. Uh, such soundness will ensure the second characteristic, and that is that it cannot be condemned. I'm talking about honestly condemned. People can shoot arrows at you, but, but, but I'm talking about an arrow that is, is a true arrow. One, an accusation that's a true accusation. False accusations are a dime a dozen. But what you don't want is an accusation that hits the mark. And so he has to be careful in what he says, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. You know, the best victory you can have is by the way you live your life, to demonstrate that they were false in their accusation. There are times, I know, when you have to stand up on the, on the chair and say, that is not true. There are times. But most of the time, just live your life in the way that it ought to be lived and let your actions, which will speak louder than words anyway, let your actions speak for themselves and the other person will be condemned. Finally, in verses 9 and 10, we have the category of slaves again. We saw that in 1 Timothy. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. Again, that's to their own masters. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not stealing, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Paul's ethical instructions are, are, are now addressed to a distinct socioeconomic group. It's not a group that we have so much in our country today. It was an institution in Paul's day. Different from American slavery, to be sure, but it was an institution. They formed a significant element of the apostolic churches. Paul's talk, Paul talks about it too much. There were many slaves in the early churches. How were those slaves to behave with regard to their masters? Well, they had a responsibility to their masters to serve as unto the Lord. 
you know, sometimes we, we make a huge mistake in talking about people who are in full-time Christian service and lay Christians. That's, that's a distinction that the Bible doesn't make. Every single one of us, watch, every single one of us is in full-time Christian service. Whatever you're doing right now, whether you're retired or, or whether you're a homemaker or whether you're a teacher, a lawyer, a banker, a CPA, you're in full-time Christian service. As you do your CPA practice, that CPA practice should be done as unto the Lord. If, if you uh, are a teacher, you may be teaching math, but when you go in and teach that math class, it should be done as unto the Lord. When those students see you, they see the integrity that you have. They see your Christianity coming out in the way that you teach math. Or no matter what it is that you do. If you're an architect and you design a building, design that building as unto the Lord. And here he's saying if you're a slave, if that's your life, if that's your position in life, then do it as unto the Lord. Don't, don't hurt the cause of Christ by being a, a poor servant, by stealing from your master. Do it as unto the Lord because there's something more important than your position in life, and that's the cause of Christ. Petty theft was common among Roman slaves. But Paul says it ought not to be common among Roman slaves who are believers. So in these first ten verses, we see that high ethical standards that follow the pattern of doctrine learned and doctrine lived are the responsibility of every believer, and not just the church leadership. We saw that in the first chapter. And I know, as you were thinking about that, you thought, well, that's a high standard. Just gave you one too, didn't I? Because you fit one of those categories somewhere. That's a high standard as well. There's, there, the church leadership has a responsibility to live what they're teaching. But that ideal does not stop with church leadership. The highest of ethical standards are mandated for all of those who go by the name Christian. Father, we're appreciative, so appreciative of this revelation that you've given us. We know that there's a high ethical standard that's demanded of all of us, and we know that we can't meet that on our own. So, Father, we would pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we would pray that we would submit ourselves to the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we might be filled up with your Holy Spirit and that we might live lives that reflect who we are in Christ, no matter what category we find ourselves under here, but particularly those who are called upon to be role models. I pray for all those in that category. That, that we would take that seriously and realize that people are watching. And may we live our lives in such a way that, that others would want to emulate us because we're emulating you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.